This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. I forgot the good morning part. Good morning. I get in trouble if I don't say that, so written down. We're going to be in Psalm 134 this morning. If you want to start heading there in your Bible, which is the last psalm in our study of the Psalms of Ascent. Psalm 134, last of the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, They begin in Psalm 120, where we saw the psalmist crying out for deliverance from the deceitful tongues that were were attacking him in his place where he lived. So after that, we saw him, how he made his journey through the hills, uh, wanting to get to Jerusalem where the Lord resided. And, and, and it's why in other psalms we saw his joy when he was standing in the gates of Jerusalem. And we heard his praise when he was standing in front of the temple. And now since he's been in Jerusalem, we've heard his prayers, prayers of waiting, prayers of lament, alongside prayers of thanksgiving and restoration. A lot of stuff, which brings us to Psalm 134. <laughs> We'll begin in verse 1. Psalm 134, verse 1. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Now, The first question I asked myself was, what in the world are we supposed to do with that? I mean, not only does it seem kind of simplistic, but it also doesn't seem to have a whole lot to do with us either. Which is why this morning I want to show you how three seemingly simplistic verses of poetry is not only jam-packed with meaning, but meaning for you and I. I've titled this sermon, How to Bless the Lord. We see that word throughout. How to Bless the Lord, because this morning I want to convince you that our sole purpose in life is to bless the Lord. That the the reason we exist is to bless the Lord. And if that's the case, then how do we do that? How do we bless the Lord? Well, we're going to begin by looking at how the structure and the context kind of work together to help us understand what's going on in this passage. And then what I want to do is I just I want to show you guys kind of a, a, a little idea of, of how I study the questions that I ask a text and, and see where that gets us. So we're going to look first to get this passage under our belt at the, how the structure and the context work together. The structure is pretty simple. We have two groups of people that are calling back and forth to each other. In verse 1 and 2, we have the people calling the priests to bless the Lord. How do I know it's the priests? Well, it's because they say, Bless the Lord, you servants of the Lord. Those are the priests. Lift up your hands in the holy place. The priests were the ones that went into the holy place. Which means in verse 3... What we see is the priest calling back to the people. May the Lord bless you from Zion. 
Now, again, seeing this structure kind of helps us understand the context, helps us see what's going on. Remember, the Psalms of Ascent were written as kind of like a, a traveling playlist for the people of Israel to, to sing as they went back and forth to Jerusalem for the three major feasts each year. So what we see here at the end of the Psalms of Ascent is this. Night is falling. The gates of the temple are being closed because the feast is over. And it's time for the people to go home. So what are they telling the priests? They're saying, keep it, keep it up while we're gone, guys. We've been here, we've been with you, blessing the Lord and worshiping the Lord, but keep it up now that we're leaving. And what's the priest's response to the people? Well, may the Lord bless you from here, from Zion, while you're gone, while you're away from here. May the Lord continue to bless you from here. But why are the people asking the priests to do this? Why are they asking the priests to keep it up, if it were, as it were? I mean, why do they need the priests to bless the Lord while they're gone? Well, you have to remember, back then, the priests were the only ones that were allowed to go before the Lord. If you were here last week, you'll remember how God explained in Exodus that the tribe of Levi was going to be set apart as priests. He said they wouldn't have land or, or have to farm because the other tribes would take care of them so they could devote themselves to, to serving the Lord in the temple. That was their, their job. And because back then, God said not just anyone could come before him. The Bible has several stories of people who didn't respect God's plan for that and the terrible ending they came to. He meant it is what I'm trying to say. The priests only, period. However, the reason the priests could go before the Lord, the reason he set it up that way, is because they were going to be mediators between the people and God. So after the priests made a sacrifice for their own sins, then they would offer a sacrifice for the people, and only then would only the priests be able to go before the Lord and interact with him on behalf of the people. So you see, back in Psalm 134, the people needed the priests to keep this up even if they were leaving. Because if the priests didn't obediently worship the Lord on their behalf while they were gone, then effectively the people weren't worshiping God either. And if the people weren't worshiping, well, that was a problem. How does history tell us that went? What does history tell us about how, the, the, how good a job did the priests do at worshiping the Lord on behalf of the people? Well, among other places, the book of Malachi focuses on the priest's failure. Look with me at Malachi in, in chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. The Lord said, A son honors his father. It's on the screen if you want. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to who? O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? 
When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Give those animals to your governor and see if he's going to accept it, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 10, Oh, that there was one among you who would just shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I don't have any pleasure, says the Lord, in the sacrifices that you're offering. But why were the priests offering these second-hand sacrifices? Why were they despising the Lord? Well, God continued in verse 13, saying, But you say, talking to the priests, What a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. This you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? In other words, the priests were like, Man, this whole sacrifice thing is such a drag. I mean, come on, God, really? Every day? Like, are we that bad? I mean, if we're going to waste an animal on sacrifice, bring me that broken, sick one over there. We'll sacrifice that one. To which God says, you know, it would be better if someone would just shut the doors than you guys keep doing what you're doing. It would be better if you didn't sacrifice than to sacrifice that. In other words, the priests failed miserably on behalf of the people. In fact, standing in front of God as a representative of the people, the priests literally told God, you're not worth a sacrifice. They despised him. And because the priests act that way, as representatives of the people, it was also as if the people were acting that way. Those who were supposed to represent the people to God didn't do their job, so the people weren't right, in right standing with God either. Which means, what did these people need? If the priests failed at representing the people before God, what did these people desperately need? Well, the answer is pretty obvious. They needed a better priest, didn't they? They needed priests who didn't profane God. Because listen, just because the priests failed doesn't mean God changed the rules. God didn't say, oh, you don't have good enough priests, so it's okay, you can now come before me on your own. The rules didn't change. We just didn't have anybody who would go before God on our behalf. We couldn't do it. And God said, I ain't fixing that. Just because you have a bad priest, you still can't come before me. We didn't have anyone worthy to do it until one finally came. Until someone worthy finally came. In fact, the writer of Hebrews explains in detail how much he is a better high priest. After describing all the details of his his better priesthood, he concludes in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 11, by saying, and every priest, that's the, the, the failed priests, they stand daily at their service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, that's his body, the perfect sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Why? Because by a single offering, our great high priest 
has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. In other words, we got the priest we needed. We got the, the, the perfect representative before God. But his priesthood didn't end there. Because you see, even if the people had a decent priest, even a good one, that priest still failed because they died. They still failed because they couldn't eternally represent the people. But Jesus continues to be our perfect priest because he never dies. Which means this, listen, if you're here this morning and you are are at that point where you realize you cannot be good enough for God. You've tried and you've failed enough times to come to that realization, the truth really, that you cannot be good enough, that you need someone else. If you are there this morning, I got two things to say to you. First, it's way worse than you think. And second, even so, there's hope for you. Hope like any other hope you've ever had. There's a, there's a hope for you because there was someone who was perfect on your behalf who will represent you before God. And his name was Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And all you have to do for him to stand in your place before God is simply believe you need him to. That's all. Just believe you need him to. In other words, when we talk about how to bless the Lord, we can't even start that. We can't even go there. We can't even look at how to bless the Lord because blessing the Lord begins by believing Jesus is our great high priest. We have to start there. We have to start believing that Jesus is our great high priest. But back in Psalm 134, where these people are encouraging their priests to keep it up. <coughs> let's, let's fast forward a few thousand years and let me ask you what that might look like today. What might it look like for you guys to encourage me to keep it up? I mean, I get emails and texts from you, which are nice. Some of you have figured out I can be bribed by Mountain Dew and things like that. <laughs> but what would this passage look like if, if we were to translate this psalm directly to us now? Well, even if you're not sure why, I hope you feel like there's something wrong with that question. Because I'm asking you a trick question. I mean, doesn't that kind of sound like you should be saying, hey, see you later, pastor, we're going home, but, but you keep it up while we're gone. You know, be spiritual and stuff, and we'll be back. Doesn't it kind of sound like that? You all know that translating the Old Testament directly to us is skipping a very important part in the process. Like really important step, like forgetting to put the gas nozzle back before you drive off, important step. Very important step. Meaning, if we want to know what Psalm 134 means to us, we have to look at it through the lens of Jesus Christ. We have to look at it through His work and who He is. Because listen... Jesus Christ was such a better priest. He did something even more amazing than, than just perfectly represent us before God. You see, Jesus Christ was such a perfect priest. His sacrifice of his own body was so powerful that he didn't 
just bring us the forgiveness of our sins. No, he made us so holy, so purified, so righteous that we no longer have to go through another person to get to God. In other words, listen, Jesus Christ is such a perfect priest that his sacrifice made everyone and anyone who believes in him holy enough to be a priest themselves. Believe in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice makes you holy enough to go before God. Listen to how Peter puts it in 1 Peter in chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. He says, as you come to him, that's Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be what? A holy priesthood. To do what? Priest things. Offer, sacrificial, offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. He says it again in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. To do what? Priestly things, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Which means, if we look at this call to these priests to bless the Lord in Psalm 134, when we look at that through the lens of Jesus, who's it really about? It's about you and I. We are now those priests who, who Psalm 134, the people are calling on to bless the Lord. We're now the priests who bless the Lord continually. In other words, brothers and sisters, listen, the way we bless the Lord is like priests. Meaning, listen, Psalm 134 is calling you and I to bless the Lord like it's our job. To bless the Lord like it's literally what we were born to do. To bless the Lord like we don't have to worry about provision. To bless the Lord like it's, it's our life's sole purpose is to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, you servants of God, and raise your hands in his holy place. That's us being called to bless the Lord. question that came up for me maybe you as well, what does it actually mean to bless someone, much less the Lord? I mean, if someone were to ask you, what does it mean? Could, do you think you could define what it means to bless someone? Well, literally, blessing simply means to bestow good on someone by giving them something, usually something from yourself, a piece of yourself, by bestowing good on someone by, to give them a piece of yourself. Like you can bless someone with your time. You can bless someone with your resources. You can even bless someone with your words. But you give them something good from yourself. Some kind of good. But how does that work with God? Because he doesn't need anything from us. God is eternally, perfectly, contentedly overjoyed with everything about himself forever. He never has a bad day. He's never fatigued. He never feels discouraged. So it's not like we could ever give God something and he'd be like, thanks, you know, I was having a really bad day, but, but you blessed me and now I feel better. It's not how that works. So how can we bless the Lord? Well, imagine one of my little granddaughters gives me a torn, wrinkled piece of paper 
with a bunch of crayons scribbled on it. Do I need a torn piece of paper? Absolutely. I mean, maybe if I need to start a fire. But otherwise, I don't need that. But what if my granddaughter were to explain to me that, that she had, had that, that paper was a, a picture of her favorite day where, where her and I went to the, to the zoo. And that scribble there, Grandpa, is you and I holding hands. And that scribble there is the giraffes. And that scribble there is the this and that, etc. Have I been blessed by a piece of paper I don't need? Absolutely I have. I'll probably keep that piece of paper, that wrinkled, torn piece of paper, until I die. Isn't the same true with God? Can't we bless him when we give him a piece of ourselves, even if he doesn't need it? Can't we bless him by spending time with him? Can't we bless him by loving him, even if he doesn't need it? Can't we bless him by telling him he's special to us, by wanting to get to know him better, by worshiping him? Absolutely we can. He's very blessed by those things, even if he doesn't need them. So why is that so difficult? If, God, if we can bless God, even if he doesn't need it, then why is it so difficult for us to do that? Why is it so difficult? Well, back in Psalm 134, picture the scene again. Why is this exchange even taking place between the people and the priests? Well, like I said, the nation-sized party is over, so the massive crowds of excited people are headed home, which means life is returning back to normal. It's time to take out the garbage and, and sweep the streets and all of that sort of thing. So what's the potential problem for the priests tomorrow? Well, if tomorrow is back to normal, if tomorrow is back to morning and evening sacrifice, back to painting the temple and doing the dishes and herding the sheep, then isn't it especially difficult to bless the Lord in the mundane, in the ordinary in the routine. I mean, isn't it easy to bless the Lord at maybe like a banging Sunday service or you go to a conference and you're just in it. You're blessing the Lord with everything you have. But, but when the day-by-day -day monotony of life ticks on like a metronome, doesn't it just seem harder? Why is that? Why is it harder to bless the Lord on Wednesday and not Sunday? Well, why isn't it difficult to bless the Lord at church? Why isn't it difficult for you to tell God you love Him and He's special to you when you're at church? Well, the answer is obvious. It's because you're at church. That's what you're supposed to do, right? But it's also because that's the focus. That's the intention. That's why you're here. It's your purpose. That's what your mind is on. So then, so then why is it difficult for us to bless the Lord the other six days and 22 hours? Isn't it distractions? Don't we find it difficult because they're, they're, that's not the reason why we're there? There are all kinds of other distractions. We get distracted by all kinds of things that fill our days. We get distracted by the errands and by the kids' activities and by that job that's due or that thing that's due at our job and by that whatever sound that is your car is making. We have distractions. And I'd say, don't get me wrong, there are certain distractions that, that we can't avoid because we're not God. Like, if I'm sewing together the little blood vessels in someone's brain, 
you know, or, or I'm finishing up the circuitry on a nuclear bomb, it's probably not the right time to be reading my Bible. We're not God. We can't do everything all the time. But what about the other 90% of our day? The part where so many other mundane things occupy our thoughts. How do we solve distraction then? Well, listen. God tells us in His Word that the simple solution to distraction is reminders, which eventually turn into discipline. The simple solution to distraction is reminders, which turn into discipline. And He doesn't just say this, He demonstrates it as well. Like, have you ever wondered why there is one story after another about God's sovereignty, about His grace, about His, you know, mercy? It's because He knows right after we read this story, we already forgot, and He's got to say it again. And, and, and it's not just with the stories. Why does God always have people in the Old Testament setting up pillars and setting up monuments and setting up all this stuff? It's so that every time they walk by that stack of rocks, they're like, ah, I forgot. Remember what God did. And the same is true with blessing the Lord. The first way we avoid distractions to blessing the Lord, this is profound, is by reminders, sticky notes, that wonderful theological tool. <clears throat> Put a sticky note or some other kind of reminder on your mirror, on your dashboard, on your desk, on your refrigerator, wherever you might be able to bless the Lord. Anywhere you might have time to tell the Lord you love Him, to tell Him how special He is to you, to read or listen to something where you could learn more about Him or pray with Him. Because what will happen is eventually those reminders will develop into something else. Eventually those reminders will turn into discipline. They'll turn into a different routine, a different pattern, a new way of living, of blessing the Lord instead of being distracted. Put the Bible in your bathroom so you can read it instead of spending a few minutes on your phone playing games. Simple. Put a sticky note on your dashboard so you can spend some time with praying or singing to God while you're driving. Put small groups or prayer groups in your calendar so you have to schedule around them instead of trying to fit them into everything else. Just like Bob showed us this morning in Romans 12. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We give ourselves a piece of ourselves to Him because it's our spiritual worship. It's how we bless Him. How about this, wives? Would you be blessed if some night at the dinner table, your husband said, you know, I was talking to the guys today, and I was telling them, you know, how, what an incredible wife you are, how pretty you are, and, and how wonderful you are to me. Husbands, would you the same be blessed if your wife was telling you, you know, I was telling my gal friends, about how kind and strong and patient you are, those kind of things. Would you be blessed by them saying that? Absolutely you would. You'd be wonderfully blessed. Don't you think it would bless God if we found a way to remind ourselves to tell someone about Him? Just like we saw earlier in 1 Peter 2, 9, we are a royal priesthood. Why? That we may proclaim the excellencies of, of him who called us. It's what priests do. 
Again, when, when we remind ourselves to do the little doable things like that, they add up over a lifetime. And before you know it, you have developed a lifestyle of blessing God, even though he doesn't need any of it. Like a priest, you've stacked up day after day of blessing God like it's the reason you exist. And why would we do that? This is the coolest thing about our God. Listen, there is no other God like this. He never says to us, do this because I said so and I ain't going to tell you why. Never does he say that to us. Why? Why would we devote our lives like it's our purpose to blessing the Lord? We'll look at verse 3. The priests call back, May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. So, so in response, the priests say to the people, May God bless them in return. In other words, when you spend your life blessing God, when you spend time with Him, communing with Him, worshiping Him, what's going to happen in return? You're going to be blessed by Him. You cannot spend time with our God without being blessed by Him. It, it can't happen. And, and what does it mean to be blessed by God? Well, we've already established that blessing someone is giving them a piece of yourself, giving them some good that's, that's part of who you are. And, and who does the psalmist say this God is who's going to bless us at the end of verse 3? It's he who made heaven and earth. He says he's the same God that we thought made it difficult for us to bless him. He's eternal. He's all-powerful. He's perfectly, contentedly overjoyed with everything about himself and all his circumstances. He never worries. He's never despairs. He's never anxious. He never has a bad day. He never gets fatigued. And he's never discouraged, which means if blessing someone means giving them something from yourself, a piece of you, then what does it look like to be blessed by God? Ephesians chapter 1 tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us through Him with every spiritual blessing in the, in the spiritual places. That's what it looks like. Everything. Being blessed by our God looks like being blessed with everything. It looks like Him giving us His strength, His courage, His joy, His hope, His energy, His confidence. Ephesians chapter 1, it continues, To the praise of His glorious grace, with which we have been blessed in Jesus Christ. It looks like being blessed with grace, even though we are a gigantic room full of losers. We get grace. He'll bless us with the confidence and the strength and the courage that He is in sovereign control of our lives. He works out all things for the good of who's, those who love Him. Philippians 4 tells us to offer all of our anxieties to Him, to pray to Him, and we'll be blessed with the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Listen, people will look at us and be like, how are you still hanging on? Why are you okay with that? 
open door, proclaim his excellencies, slow pitch. My God, he'll bless us with the joy and the hope that we are his and he is ours and there is no one who can separate us from him. This is what it looks like to be blessed with the peace of our God. Listen, Revelation chapter 14 tells us we will be blessed with death. Blessed with death. That, that those in heaven have been blessed because they are at rest. Which means ultimately he'll bless us with the assurance. Listen, the assurance that we will see our great high priest one day face to face. The assurance that one day it won't be difficult to bless him. The assurance that one day we won't have any more distractions because one day we will spend eternity blessing him in the very presence of his splendor and glory. In other words, priests of the living God, Cedar Springs Church, not only do we bless the Lord like it's the reason we exist, but we bless the Lord by relying on and trusting on and yearning for his blessings to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a gift you are to us. A blessing. Father, I pray that as you have promised that your active living word would cut us deeply that you would drive into our hearts a, a comprehension as Paul said that we may know the measure of what you have given us the ways that you have blessed us Father show us throughout this week the depth and the width and the breadth and the length of who you are and who we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would do this so that we would be unable to contain our joy and our desire to tell others about you, that distractions would fade in the light of your glorious grace. Father, it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen.